Hey everyone, it's Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Girl podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today I want to talk to you about how to use your feminine influence for good, especially when it comes to your influence over the men in your life. Now, it's really no secret to most of us that there is a rampant problem of perversion among even Christian men today. It's become very much the norm for men to be consumed with lust and vice in so many areas. And a lot of women have become angry and frustrated over this widespread problem, but don't really know what to do about it. A lot of young women over the years have written me telling me about compromise that has happened with men in their church. Some of them have been abused by men in their church. Others have been involved in immorality with the leaders in their church. And a lot of times I'll hear stories from girls who were abused by their own fathers, and these men were sometimes elders or deacons or leaders in the church. So there is really a widespread issue here with just that um, sexual deviance that has crept in and become very much the norm. In fact, I remember one time when Eric was talking to a very uh, well-known person in the Christian publishing world about helping men gain victory over lust and over perversion, and the man kind of laughed at him and said, you know, that isn't even possible. Any man who says he has victory in that area is just lying. Well, when you look at scripture, you see a completely different standard. Jesus says that even for a man to look at a woman with lust, he has committed adultery in his heart. So there is a very high standard in scripture, and yet it is so different than what we see all around us today. A young man who had just graduated from a Christian college once told me that the problem of perversion and lust is beyond rampant, even in the church. Having just come out of a Christian college, I can tell you categorically that there is not a guy I met who wasn't either struggling with lust or completely given over to it. Many even seem to take pride in the fact. Now, that is a very sad state of reality, and I don't want this podcast to just leave you in a state of depression thinking, well, this is hopeless, because with God, nothing is impossible. And one of the things that I want to encourage you in is that this is not the way God intended men to live. Men do not have to be defeated by perversion unless any more than we as women need to be defeated by various sins that we might be controlled by. I believe that one of the biggest reasons men are prone to this is because they're surrounded by voices that excuse sinful mediocrity rather than calling them up to the righteous standard of Christ. The biblical principle of consecrating our bodies to God as the temple of the Most High God is often conveniently being ignored, but the worldly prescription of just do what feels good is reigning supreme. And oftentimes Christianity has accepted this attitude that guys are just built this way, they can't help it, let's not make them feel bad about it, and thus men are being carried away like helpless victims to selfishness, lust, and perversion. There was a pastor of a very large church in our area quite a few years ago who was feeling kind of run down, exhausted, burned out. And he said that the pressures of ministry and church leadership were taking a toll on his marriage and family. And so in order to escape and unwind, he went off on a vacation by himself. He left his wife and kids at home. And how did he spend this much needed getaway time? He didn't spend it in prayer. He didn't pursue God in a deeper way. He hung out in bars and in his hotel room watching TV. And this eventually led to him falling into immorality on that trip. 
and his family falling apart. Ironically, when this pastor confessed his sin to the church body, they gave him a standing ovation. They were far more impressed with the fact that he was real and honest enough to admit his struggles than they were about being concerned that he was defeated by sin and selfishness. And this is actually a really common story. Another church in our area, one of the largest in the nation, um, several years ago announced that their pastor had fallen into a lifestyle of deceit and sexual sin. And again, it happened when he escaped from his family and went off to a self-indulgent getaway in a big city hotel that the immorality came to the surface in his life. Now, this may be normal in the American church today, and it may be the reality of a lot of Christian men, but it's actually not God's intention for masculinity. And that's one thing that we as women need to realize. Rather than just shrugging our shoulders and saying, oh, well, guys will be guys, let's look at what scripture says about the standard that God has called men to. Jesus said, You have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So Jesus does not mention words on the fact that if something is leading us into impurity, we are to cut it out of our lives, not just entertain it and think that it's our right to indulge in it. Job 31 also speaks to this issue. He says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, that would be wickedness. Yes, it would be iniquity deserving of judgment, for that would be a fire that consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase. So how are we as women supposed to respond to this vast difference between the righteous standard of Christ and the disturbing trends in modern masculinity? I don't feel that we've very often been given the right answer to that question. I have read several books and magazine articles for Christian women that seek to help us live with guys' problems over lust and sexual immorality in an understanding, non-critical way. Now, while I do believe that we don't need to be giving into anger and criticism, I also don't think that we just need to say, oh, well, we'll just have to learn how to live with this. One of them said, you know, we can't possibly understand a man's temptation in this area, and it's time that we stop making them feel like criminals for doing what is natural to them. Now, criticism, nagging, and heaping guilt upon men is not the answer. It will not help a man that is battling with these issues. But neither will shrugging our shoulders and saying, guys will be guys. What modern masculinity needs is a serious dose of the saving, redeeming, transforming, delivering power of Jesus Christ. And by the way, masculinity is not the only group of people who need this. It's women as well. And as women, we need to realize that we play a significant role in seeing that come about. If you've ever been discouraged or depressed or defeated by the state of modern men, then be encouraged that the problems of modern manhood are not too big for God. He has a huge vision for men and is the very standard of Christ. If you are willing and humble and available, you can be part of God's change in the state of masculinity today when you are his vessel and you don't try to solve this problem in your own strength. So let's look at some ways that we can use our feminine influence for good. If you study Proverbs 7, you will see a woman who uses her feminine influence for evil. She uses all of her 
powers of seduction and flirtation to entice a man into sin. But all throughout scripture, you will also see women who use their feminine power for good and not harm. You can see the the story of Esther, where she used her influence over the king to actually save her people and do the will of God. The influence of Ruth over Boaz was godly and honoring, and it enabled him to become the redeemer for that family line. And then there's the story of Abigail with King David and quite a few others all throughout scripture. We have to make a decision. Are we going to use our influence for good or for selfish reasons? We have a far greater power over modern masculinity than we often realize. We can use our femininity to influence men towards strength or towards weakness. And unfortunately, a lot of us don't use that power correctly. We criticize, complain, manipulate, control, seduce, hoping that our self-built techniques will somehow mysteriously turn a frog into a prince. But when selfishness is our motivation for changing men, we're only going to end up fueling the problem and leading men into even greater weakness. Just like there are counterfeit versions of masculinity, there are counterfeit forms of femininity, twisted imitations of God's original design for womanhood. And a lot of us know these things all too well. So let's look at some of these pitfalls so that we can avoid them and begin using influence in the right way. One of the biggest stumbling blocks that I've seen is men bashing. And it really comes from really a form of self-protection. We don't know how to deal with the disappointment of modern men, so we choose to cover those emotions with scorn and men bashing and sarcasm. I've been in so many conversations where married Christian women sit around drinking coffee and bashing their husband's idiotic behavior, laughing and joking with you know this whole with the other women about this whole attitude that all men are hopeless. But this kind of attitude only traps men in their weakness. Once a guy has been labeled as, you know, hopeless, he's very he's very unlikely to have the motivation to become anything different. I've even talked with guys who have said, you know, what's the use in trying to change? Women will always see me this way. If I try to be noble, women will think that I'm just, you know, trying to get something for myself out of it. And Married men will say this often. Why would I bother trying to be different if my wife is always going to see me as an unromantic, insensitive, selfish man? All too many men who would have risen to a higher standard have become paralyzed by the attitude of women who bash them and don't believe that they can ever change. So no matter what disturbing trends you may see in modern men, the worst thing you can do is participate in that cultural, scornful bashing of men and labeling them as, you know, hopeless guys who are never going to change. Guys will be guys, you know, they're just always going to be this way because that will create men who just shrug their shoulders and say, well, if women don't believe I can be anything different, then why bother trying? Scripture is clear that God calls us to respect and reverence masculinity and build men up, not to tear them down. One of the other pitfalls we can often fall into is nagging. The book of Proverbs says twice that it is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And another scripture says it's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. I don't know why we so often think that criticism and nagging is going to change a man because most of us have learned by experience that it doesn't. So often men don't take those, quote, subtle hints that we don't like how they're acting. So we sometimes 
feel the need to turn up the volume in order to awaken them to the fact that we don't like their behavior. But the problem with this is that it's a self-built solution. It's a counterfeit of true femininity. No amount of criticism or nagging is going to cause a man to become that heroic Christ-like warrior poet that we want him to be. As Proverbs clearly shows, it's only going to drive him away from us. Most guys would rather live in the wilderness or on the corner of a housetop than with a woman who is constantly griping, complaining, and criticizing him. And that's what Proverbs says. I've noticed in my marriage to Eric that when I yield to that selfish desire to complain or criticize, all I do is tear him down and discourage him. But when I choose to diligently pray about things that I might see in his life that need to improve, God will open his eyes to the areas that need to be refined, and he submits to God's refining work without a word from me oftentimes. As women, we have to remember it's not our job to change men. Only God can do that. And our job is to participate with God in bringing his desired change about, not through angry words or self-effort, but through diligent prayer and a Christ-like example. 1 Peter 3 talks about the influence a wife can have over an unbelieving husband that he can even be one without a word because of the godly behavior of his wife. And actually, this same principle applies to single women. If we allow the Spirit of God to transform us into radiant examples of Christ's love, men will be transfixed rather than turned off by that behavior and attitude. They can be won over to the ways of Christ by observing the beauty of Christ that exudes from you. The next time you're tempted to criticize or complain about a man's behavior, pray for him instead. Ask God to transform him, rescue him, and shape him into the man that God has created him to be. And remember that God is more interested in rescuing his soul than even you are. One more pitfall that we often fall into is trying to control and manipulate men. We so often want men to rise up and become valiant, godly leaders worthy of honor and respect. But sometimes when we see a man start to emerge into a strong leader, we feel threatened and of encouraged and we want to use that feminine power to manipulate and control and keep him under our thumb. We want men to be strong, but oftentimes we don't want to give up our own position of control to allow them to be strong. And this can be true, especially in romantic relationships. I've encountered young women who are skilled in keeping men under their thumb. They might use beauty, wit, intellect, personality, emotional control to dominate the guy and and make him do what she wants him to do rather than submitting him to God and letting him be God's man rather than constantly controlling and manipulating him. So in order for a man to truly be the leader and the godly warrior that God has called him to be, let him be a man. Let him truly take the lead. Don't rush ahead of him just out of impatience, but pray that God would give him those leadership qualities and give him room to grow into the leader that he's called to be. Even in a marriage in which your husband isn't yielded to Christ, a wife can gain great spiritual ground by respecting his position and allowing him to lead as long as he's not violating the word of God. You can put this principle into practice even in your single years. In your friendships or in your romantic relationships, be purposeful about not taking the lead and being the one always in control, manipulating him and telling him what to do. If there is a guy in your life who seems less spiritually mature than you, don't rub that fact in his face, but be humble in your interactions with him, knowing that God is the one who has to grow and build his faith, not you. Your job is to be an example of Christ to him, to encourage him and to cheer him on in his pursuit of God and to diligently pray for him, but not to manipulate him. 
So some final thoughts that I want to share with you of using your feminine influence for good and not harm for the men in your life. First of all, remember that God is the only one who can truly change men. And with God, nothing is impossible. He actually cares about the souls of these men far more than you ever could. And he has to be the source of change. So when we get out of the way and say, Lord, just let make me a vessel for your purposes in these men's lives, rather than saying, I have to get this figured out by myself and change these guys with by my own sheer willpower. Let's get out of the way and let God do his work and trust and have faith that with God, nothing is impossible. And again, don't underestimate the power of prayer. Be sure that you are using the influence God has given you to lead guys to Christ. And meanwhile, pray for them diligently. It is amazing what God can do to soften a heart and awaken him to truth simply by the faithful prayer of women in his life. I've told the story many times that Eric's sister prayed for him for years and years as he was living a mediocre life, not really walking closely with God. And finally, when he was in college, her prayers made an impact on him and he gave his life radically to Christ. And she was the first person that he called. And of course, that must have been discouraging to pray for him year after year and not see any change. But because she didn't give up, God awakened him to the truth. Also believe for more than the cultural vision for manhood. Look to the word of God and say, what does God intend a man to be? And then encourage men. Don't criticize them if they don't rise up to that standard, but encourage them that God has something really amazing in store for them if they yield to him. Don't give in to that guys will be guys mentality, but encourage them to rise up to the standard of Christ. Do so with love and gentleness and kindness, and you can have a profound impact upon the men in your life. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. For more resources and materials on how to really influence and impact men in your life in a godly way, visit us at setapartgirl.com and consider subscribing to our bi-monthly Set Apart Girl magazine and look at the many other resources that we have there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.